What's going on, everybody? It's Kyle Bennett from Underground Sports Philadelphia. Outside the Box has become such a huge success, we're giving it its own podcast feed. You guys have come out in droves and made this thing such a huge project for us. It's unbelievable. So, Outside the Box is moving to its own individual podcast feed starting in October. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at OTBLaxPod to know when that pod feed goes live so you can subscribe there. You don't miss a single beat of what Herm and I are bringing. You don't miss any guests. And uh, you can always drop those five-star ratings and reviews to uh, pump the pod feed up and uh, make it an even bigger success as we head into year two of lacrosse coverage right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. So yes, the month of October, outside the box, its own podcast feed. Get hype. We'll see you guys soon. Let's get into the episode. Four men on the rush. Keenum throws. He's picked. Patrick Robinson back the other way. Looking for a block. Gets it. Robinson for the touchdown. Hey, I'm Mike. And I'm Daniel. And we are Civil Youth, and you are listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. Ladies and gentlemen, the Eagles took care of the monoless New York Jets as Sam Darnold didn't play, and they got the uh, the much needed, you know, easy win to uh, kick off this gauntlet stretch that they have. And what better way to kick off the gauntlet stretch of Eagles enemies right here on Underground Sports Philadelphia than with our good buddy from the Athletic Minnesota, Arif Hassan? What's going on, man? Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh, so, as always, this matchup is always anticipated, mostly dating back to 2017 with the NFC Championship game. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of buzz and, you know, what seems like upsetting news in Minnesota when it comes to who I like to refer to as Kirk Coupons and uh, his wide receiver core. What's uh, What's been the vibe through the first couple weeks of this season with the Minnesota Vikings? And uh, how are they trying to get this thing back on track and get this spotlight off of them when it comes to... Uh, the unhappiness from the outside looking in with uh, Kirk Cousins, Stefan Diggs, and Adam Thielen. Yeah, so in, in terms of the the perception of, of how the offense is performing, it, it actually does just change week to week. You know, first week, great. Second week, poor. Third week, great. Fourth week, awful. Fifth week, great. Um, I think we're not going to get an answer until they play against a verifiably good defense and, and do a reasonable job against them because, uh, you know, against good defenses, they've done about as bad as poor offenses do against good defenses. And then against bad defenses, they do about as well as elite offenses do against bad defenses. And so we've got really no understanding, no litmus test or mark of how good this offense is or what the passing offense in particular looks like with Cousins. 
um, you know, uh, our mutual friend Michael Kiss calls uh, Kirk Cousins a, a litmus test. You can kind of find out how good your defense is based off of uh, how they play him. So, you know, that that might be it. Uh, as for how to kind of take the spotlight off, you know, I think there's a couple of ways to do it. The first, of course, is just to win. Um, but you have to win a couple of games. I think winning one game at a time, um, you know, if you pepper that in with some losses, that's not going to be uh, – a great way to kind of resolve the frustration that exists in the building. And then the second way is to make sure that you've got a big win where everybody's involved in the passing game against a, a verifiably good defense. So back to that again. So I think that's kind of how you, um, you, you can kind of get that spotlight off is to make sure that the Vikings are being talked about as playoff contenders instead of a team that might blow up. Does Stefan Diggs have any possibility of being traded from this team? Now I know it's been, you know, disputed and refuted from multiple people, but in your opinion, do you think the Vikings would even consider moving on from Stefan Diggs? I'd say the chances are below 5%. Um, you know, I'm never going to say it's impossible. The league is too difficult to predict. Um, but I, I would say that the Vikings, they tend to over-ask in player trades. They don't tend to trade their players away too often. Uh, and, uh, and so I think Diggs is the same way. You know, I think... Like most NFL teams, if someone calls and asks, uh, you know, what the price is on a player or if they offer a price on a player, they'll listen. You know, they'll, they, they want to get a good value uh, of, of what that player is because it's good internally to have that and also to get an understanding of the market and what the perception is globally. But no, not really. I, I, I don't think, you know, I think their asking price is too high. I think they value digs. I, I think that the likelihood of a trade is just so low that it's not really worth I think as much of a talking point as it's gotten, especially apparently uh, among among Patriots fans, that they, they they seem to be really into this idea of a Stephon Diggs trade. They they just want every wide receiver under the sun. They do, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like you're good enough already. Go away and you know continue on with your Patriot way nonsense. Um, right. You know the whole thing though with with Adam Thielen and saying that you know we can't just rely on running the ball was that you know, something that was taken into account by this team or was that kind of just blown up, you know, through the media and just, you know, people speculating about uh, Adam Thielen, you know, low-key taking a jab at either Kirk Cousins or at Mike Zimmer about, you know, how the offense has been running? Uh, I, I think it's it's somewhere in the middle. You know, when Adam Thielen, you know, kind of a couple of days later spun it as, no, I was honestly, I was making a generic statement. You can't be one-dimensional in this league and win. Um, you know, there's there's some truth to that. You know, he's saying, you know, the run game wasn't working uh, against the Chicago Bears, uh, and, it, and it really wasn't. It was a really poor uh, day for the running offense. You need to be able to throw the ball in order to kind of resolve that. And if you don't have the ability to, you know, that's a problem. And he's right. You know, and from a from a standpoint of a player making a generic statement about having a multidimensional offense, he's right. But you know, I, I was I was physically I was there when he said it, and. Uh, you know, and, and this seems to be a lot of the feeling of a lot of members of the beat that what he was saying was also an expression of frustration, that they weren't able to get things done. And the thing is, um, you watch Thielen in that game, and he's visibly frustrated, not to the extent that Diggs is. Diggs is very kind of expressive and emotional, and you can kind of see these large hand movements, like, you know, he's shrugging his shoulders, he's got his hands out wide. And Thielen, you know, he's open on a play deep downfield, and there's like a two-yard dump off. Uh, to the fullback, and his shoulders just slump. Uh, and so, you know, it's very clear that, that he's frustrated because he's doing all he can against a really talented secondary to get open, and he is, in fact, getting open, uh, and he's not earning those targets. So I think based off of all of that, 
there was legitimate frustration about the play of Kirk Cousins, uh, about uh, kind of the approach that the Vikings took into that game, uh, and and the fact that they they really weren't utilizing the receivers for whatever reason uh, when they were trying to dig themselves out of a hole and and needed to pass deep downfield. Um, that said, he's a he's a smart guy when it comes to dealing with the media, uh, and, and I think he phrased it in ways that made it very defensible for him to a couple of days later, come on and say, no, you guys are blowing things out of proportion. So I think there's kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of different shades to that there. Has Minnesota come to terms that it was not John D. Filippo's fault? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll say this. I'll say this. I think uh, the Vikings were, uh, I'm not going to say right to get rid of him because I, I think you need to give offensive coordinators more than a year, and I think Kyle Shanahan is a really good example of that uh, in Atlanta. Um, but I think that they fired if they if they were going to fire him, they fired him essentially for the wrong reasons. Uh, the idea that you know he was throwing the ball too much, that he wasn't running the ball, I think that's uh, a little ridiculous. I understand where Mike Zimmer's coming from. I'm not you know hardcore in one direction in terms of analytics Twitter and running the ball, but I do think. A heavy passing offense is is a really efficient offense. He just wasn't designing plays very well, and it looks like in Jacksonville he's doing a really great job uh, of designing those plays, which again is why I think you should give these guys another year. Um, but it's it's how he used his players that I think was a problem, and it manifested in really inefficient play, despite the fact that they were throwing the ball. So has Minnesota come to terms with the fact that you know they shouldn't have fired Don Filippo? I don't think so, but I, I think that there were legitimate problems there that were not the problems that people were focusing on, if that makes sense. Definitely. And uh, one thing that has been working pretty much consistently week in and week out for this Vikings offense has been Dalvin Cook. And, you know, it was always talked about that if he stays healthy, he can be an elite running back, and he's showing that this year for sure. What is making Dalvin Cook just tick and go off the way he has outside of that Bears game? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it just has to do with scheme, and I don't want to take anything away from Cook. I think that he is playing like an elite running back, but I think when you've got Kubiak influencing the way that the offensive line is scheming up these plays, you're marrying kind of this perfect scheme, this outside zone scheme, to what Dalvin Cook is naturally suited for, and he's a really great zone running back. Um, You're creating a lot of holes, and the fact that they use a ton of misdirection, that they're using different kinds of outside zone runs, like split zones and uh, and so on, I, I think that they're doing a really great job of putting him into positions where he can you know make the most of the space that he has available to him and then beyond that cook himself of course is individually very talented he does a great job of finding these small creases and and turning them into these really big gains and his decision making i think has you know he didn't get to play a lot the past two years because of injury and so we didn't actually get to see a lot of it but one of the issues i had is that sometimes you know his vision wasn't phenomenal it was you know pretty good sometimes and sometimes he would just make the wrong decision and this year he's making very very few mistakes in terms of you know decisions about whether or not to bounce outside or, or go up the middle and kind of just take you know shorter yardage uh decisions about kind of which hole to attack you know where the linebackers are and so on so his vision is fantastic his home run speed is there his acceleration um you know is i think better than i think what a lot of people expected in terms of you know his one one plant and go and then i think the thing that really is making him stand out from a lot of other running backs is his ability to take on contact without going down he 
tends to make the first guy miss, whether it's by juking them out or by you know powering through them. He has a lot more power than I think a back of his size typically has. And then his balance, I think, is kind of the reason he's winning a lot of these uh, matchups against linebackers when, when they go one-on-one against him. He's just really hard to take down, and I don't think it's inherently a strength thing. I think he just has this sense of balance that you find in backs like Marshawn Lynch or Kareem Hunt or whoever that do a really great job despite not having elite physical skills of of breaking tackles and you know cook just happens to also have home run ability that i think really adds to that repertoire now over the past few years since kirk cousins has you know gotten to minnesota it seems like kyle rudolph's kind of just been an afterthought in this offense after being you know one of the talked about top tight ends in the league what is it about you know the involvement of the tight end that kirk cousins just doesn't seem to uh you know, want to throw the ball to Kyle Rudolph as much as we've seen in the past from different quarterbacks in Minnesota. Well, I think um, I think there were uh, you know the expectations were a little too high for Rudolph because I think you know they saw what Cousins did with Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed in Washington, and they just kind of assumed you know he likes throwing to tight ends, so he liked going uh, throwing to Kyle Rudolph, and he's just not those guys. You know, Vernon Davis had one of the best combines of all time. He's an insane athlete. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's like a 250 pounds around a four, three, seven or something crazy like that. Um, and, and Jordan Reed is, is a remarkably good athlete and that's just not who Kyle Rudolph is. I mean, he's very kind of classic tight end, you know, for a while in Minnesota, he was up to 260 pounds. He's since, you know, lost weight. He's around 238 or something like that. Um, but he, he's not a super fast tight end. He's not going to break up the seam or anything like that. And so they use him in very traditional roles that you saw in offenses from 10 years ago. Uh, and, and that's kind of its physical ability has limited their ability to kind of use him. Uh, in, in ways that a lot of these inventive tight end usages we've been seeing around the league have kind of enabled, you know, these these great passing numbers, whether it's, you know, in, in Philadelphia with Zach Ertz and or, or whether, you know, you've got Travis Kelsey with with uh, Kansas City. You just don't have the physical ability there to be able to kind of use Kyle Rudolph in that way. And then where he does win in the red zone. Cousins, for whatever reason, just keeps overthrowing him and him specifically in the red zone. And I don't know if that's, you know, he's got a misperception of the way the coverage is aligned or how high, you know, Rudolph can can high point that ball or whatever. I, I'm not sure. But the chemistry in the red zone isn't there. So, you know, and I think the final thing is, you know, there's only one ball. Then you've got Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen and, and Dalvin Cook. And honestly, you know, Rudolph is fine, but I'd rather give it to one of those guys. Very true. Uh, and then on the flip side, this this Vikings defense continues to, uh, you know, live up to its name, being one of the top defenses in the league. One of the, you know, fun developments to see is that Everson Griffin looks like he's back after, you know, uh, his bout with, you know, mental, you know, his mental illness struggle last year. And um, he's performing, you know, at an all time high level. Daniel Hunter as well. Uh, talk to me about this Vikings defense and what is, you know, clicking for them so well and. Uh, is it because they've gotten rid of the weight of the corpse of Andrew Sandejo, who is now in the <laughs> Eagles' defense? Uh, you know, Sandejo actually played uh, pretty well for the Vikings in his final year with them, but Anthony Harris's replacement has been outstanding, so it's pretty easy to make that decision for them, especially when they've had that cap constraint. But, I mean, we're seeing career years from a number of Vikings. I think so far Daniel Hunter has played better than he ever has for Minnesota. Anthony Harris is playing at an extremely high level. Uh, Eric Hendricks, I think, is playing better than he ever has. And then you've got players that are kind of returning to their form. People like Harrison Smith, who's playing more like his old self than his last year's self. People like Anthony Barr that are playing more like his old self than he has in the past two years. And Everson Griffin, like you mentioned, 
uh, is playing like his 2017 self instead of, you know, how he played last year, which, you know, includes, you know, dealing with a return from foot injury. And like you said, uh, in absence and recovery uh, from, from mental illness. So uh, that I think altogether has, I think, produced the bones of a really great defense. That's really fantastic at putting pressure on the quarterback. I think their pressure numbers are not that great, but I think the reason for that is quarterbacks are throwing really quick against them. They've got one of the lowest average depths of targets in the league. Uh, also, I mean, when you play, Derek Carr. That's just what tends to happen. <laughs> um, but you know they're they're beating offensive tackles and forcing quarterbacks to get rid of the ball, uh, and so they just they haven't been able to have many opportunities for big plays down the field. And though Xavier Rhodes is struggling a little bit and Trey Waynes is struggling a little bit, not having too many opportunities to showcase those struggles is really helping that defense out a lot in a big way. And it has to do, I think, with those core players I just mentioned. All of them are playing really, really well. I think some of it has to do with the fact that Linval Joseph, somebody I didn't even mention, is also back to kind of his old form. It turns out last year he was playing through a shoulder injury. He got surgery for in the offseason, and now he looks a lot more like a guy that can take on these double teams, clear things up for uh, you know these two linebackers that no longer have to deal with guards in their face in the run game. Uh, and, and and do a lot more. Plus, the Vikings are blitzing Anthony Barr a little bit more this year, uh, and he's also playing better as a blitzer. Last year, you know, he wasn't able to beat running backs in pass protection. Pretty unusual for a guy that was an edge rusher in college. So, um, yeah, a lot of things are are, are are turning the right way for them, and I think a lot of that has to do with recovery from injury, guys kind of getting back into to who they were, uh, and um, you know, it's it's a it's a very healthy defense too, and that can't be overlooked. Some of the best defenses in the NFL also happen to be the healthiest. No, I think Anthony Barr is performing at an all-time high level because he made the right decision by not going to the New York Jets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's mentally re- revitalized from that one uh, day where he might have been a Jet. He felt sick to his stomach, right? So he, He's got to be looking there and be like, all right, I avoided potentially contracting mono. I avoided being on a, a, a non-win team, and uh, I don't have to deal with crazy eyes Adam Gase. Yeah, it's it all it's all looking up, or Greg Williams, right? Too. <laughs> it's, it's, everything's looking up. I don't have to uh, be subject to being, you know, a bounty hunter on the field, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, you brought up Xavier Rhodes and, and Trey Waynes. How much of a re- a relief is it for this Viking secondary knowing that Deshaun Jackson's not going to be playing in this matchup? I think it's huge. Um, I, I think that kind of fans are. Um, I think more concerned about Xavier Rhodes than is fair. I think he's playing still at an above average level, but you know he's getting elite money, and so he needs to play a little bit better. Uh, and and someone like Deshaun Jackson, who seems to be the only receiver with hands on that team, uh, <laughs> you know, not well having played, to worry, well played. <laughs> not having to worry about him uh, is uh, is is pretty good. And, you know, I think that. You know, Jackson has, has shown, I think, a proclivity throughout his career, not just for those deep catches that he's really well known for, but using the threat of the deep ball to get kind of open everywhere and move the chains. You know, the the fact that, you know, he's not going to be as much of a factor means that, you know, you you have to match up against Alshon Jeffrey, who uh, I think was hurt at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and you know, might be returning to form. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. But it allows you to put more resources into dealing with Jeffrey, uh, you know, dealing with Nelson Aguilar and so on. And, you know, the fact that the Eagles tend to only put two receivers on the field, uh, you know, I think magnifies that because, you know, replacing Aguilar with, uh, with Jackson, I think that that would be huge. Uh, and and not having to worry about you know the the multi level threat that Jackson provides means you can kind of shift your coverages and and you can play kind of press a little bit more often and so on and, and really disrupt timing. 
you know, looking at this Eagles offense too, they only have two healthy running backs right now. Corey Clement has not practiced with a shoulder injury this week. Darren Sproles left uh, the Jets game with an injury. So right now, it's Jordan Howard who has a lot of familiarity with this Vikings team and a rookie in Miles Sanders. Uh, what kind of, you know, are you expecting to see from Jordan Howard knowing that he's played against this Vikings team for the first three years of his career consistently and he tends to have success against them? Yeah, no, he's doing pretty well against the Vikings. Um, I, I would say, you know, part of it, you know, the the fact that the Eagles offensive line isn't really blocking as well as they typically do, um, you know, except strangely, the guy recovering from an ACL injury uh, is playing <laughs> out of his mind. Um, I, I think that that might play a role in their ability to potentially bottle up Jordan Howard. Um, I expect, you know, sooner rather than later that, that Lane Johnson and Jason Peters will get back to form. But, you know, Isaac Samalu uh, is is a little bit of a liability. I don't think uh, Kelsey is playing kind of up to his standards. Uh, and, and given how well the defensive line and linebacker core is playing, you know, and beating blocks uh, to get to running backs kind of at or behind the line of scrimmage, I think that's more important than, than Jordan Howard's kind of individual capability, which is not to say – Again, that he's not capable, but rather, you know, the more shots you've got behind uh, the line of scrimmage you have at a running back, the worse they're going to look. And so I think that's going to play a pretty big role. Other than that, I don't think the Vikings are going to uh, adjust. I mean, you know, uh, not to to throw shade on Jordan Howard, but he's not Saquon Barkley, right? Right. Um, And so you don't really have to overcorrect in terms of the way that you design your defense, especially when you've got the risk of someone like Zach Ertz or the fact that, you know, the Eagles – uh, are willing to, to throw the ball out of run looks, right? And so you can't overcommit against the run, and I think the Vikings are, are pretty aware of that. And, you know, when you talk about Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard obviously being on the field and Doug Peterson loving to run that 12 personnel, which, you know, if he's, he's game-planning the right way, I expect to see a lot of that, especially with Deshaun Jackson being out again. Um, you know, is that something the Vikings could take advantage of? Is Is that 12 personnel with, you know, how they're playing on defense and the way that, you know, just the, the front seven's been able to perform this year at such a high level? Yeah, no, I, I think so. And, and I think the fact that the Eagles tend to attack a lot of, uh, you know, nickel looks against 12 and then and then uh, with the passing game and then run at, at um, or run at, run at nickel looks and, and pass against base looks, you know, I think that that's not going to be as easy against the Vikings just because, uh, you know, the base personnel uh, will include someone like it might include, uh, you know, Eric Wilson, who's a former safety in the NFL um, or uh, J. Ron Curse. You know, Ben Gedeon is, is traditionally their base linebacker. But, you know, against those two tight ends, you know, they might be comfortable putting out a safety in big nickel instead of a traditional nickel and and confusing kind of what, what those box counts or what that personnel count will look like and still having an answer in the passing game. And I think Curse is going to be kind of an, you know, a backup safety. I think he's going to be kind of an underrated factor in terms of that matchup. I don't think that Curse can shut down Ertz or anything like that, but I do think it's going to diminish the the likelihood that that, you know, those matchups are going to hurt them when the Eagles go out in 12 personnel, which, you know, is more often than any other team in the league. So, it's something they're aware of and I'm I'm confident they've got a plan for for that and I expect, you know, that they they'll treat Dallas Goddard like a receiving threat despite the fact that he hasn't had too many targets this year just because he's shown that capability in the past uh and I think going forward as he recovers from injury, um, which I think he had a calf strain, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. as he as he recovers, you know, he's going to continue to be, you know, a passing threat. So I think they're going to to treat those tight ends like you know true tight ends, like you know the way that you treat Gronkowski, somebody who could both block and uh, and catch, and make sure that they've got that people in place that have some capability of doing both. And I think another answer to that 
is to play someone like Trey Waynes in press coverage because he's such a great you know run support cornerback that you want him near the line of scrimmage just in case the Eagles do decide to run the ball. I got to get your opinion on this decimated and shredded Eagles secondary going up against guys like Thielen, Diggs, uh, and Dalvin Cook as a receiving threat too. Uh, you know, Sidney Jones looks like he's going to play, but he hasn't really shown too much so far in his career. Uh, I, I think is what we were expecting as Eagles fans is what the Eagles front office was expecting. Ronald Darby, the Eagles somehow are like 14 and three without him on the field. So if he doesn't play, I feel comfortable. Um, Avante Maddox, obviously still with that concussion and neck injury uh, from that Thursday night Packers game, but Orlando Skandrick just, you know, embodied Patrick Robinson and, uh, you know, did the thing against the Jets. So feeling a little comfortable with him to say the least, but this Eagle secondary is far from healthy. And, uh, you know, I'm low key terrified of what could potentially happen if Kirk Cousins comes into this game, you know, at his, you know, peak performance best, uh, being able to throw the ball to those two weapons. Yeah, no, and I think that the Vikings are pretty aware of the potential mismatch there. You know, it really does kind of depend, I think, on the health of Sidney Jones. Um, but, yeah, I think the Vikings will be a little bit more comfortable throwing the ball. I mean, obviously, we know that the Eagles have been having uh, a pretty great, uh, you know, year stopping the run. Uh, and which is not to say, you know, it's a Vikings team. They're not going to abandon the run. They fired a guy over that, right? right. Um, so, uh, you know, they're still going to run the ball, but I think that they're really going to be happy to take advantage of those mismatches between Dick Steelen and that secondary. Um, that, you know, I think they'll try to attack all three levels of the field. Um, you know, they, they tend to put, you know, digs on one side, Thielen on the other, usually with, you know, another receiver or two and kind of a, a trips or a bunch look and and have, you know, a, a three-receiver combination on one side and the digs is kind of a backside alert. So you've got, you know, a combination on one side that's going to attack zones pretty well, and then you've got, you know, Diggs who's, who's pretty much built to attack man coverage. Um, and, and so they'll, they'll kind of pick their poison and see what the Eagles are doing. Uh, and I would expect that this is going to be kind of a bigger day for those receivers. I don't know if that necessarily translates into a big day for Cousins, who, you know, with, with enough pressure is, you know, potentially going to throw some picks and stuff like that, maybe fumble the ball. You know, that doesn't mean a win, but I, I do think kind of regardless, we're going to see some pretty good games from both Thielen and Diggs. And you bring up the Eagles, you know, run defense. They're number one through the, you know, first five weeks in stopping the run. How do you think that plays out against Alvin Cook, who, like we said earlier, outside of that Bears game, has found a lot of success running the ball uh, this season? What are you kind of expecting from that matchup? Yeah, well, I think they're going to try and test it. You know, I think that they're not going to be afraid to see, you know, hey, somebody's number one in something, but this is something that we like to do. Uh, and, and I think that they'll, you know, kind of attempt to, to see, A, how those linebackers respond to different looks, and then, B, I think they're going to try and run away from Brandon Graham. I think they're going to run uh, more at, you know, Derek Barnett and let Riley Reeve kind of lead the way. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's there's opportunities there. I, I think that the fact that it's kind of a zone-running scheme and allows Dalvin Cook to kind of pick a crease and go is going to give them some options. But obviously, you know, the Eagles have played against zone teams and have done pretty well. Um, so I, I don't think that it's going to be easy. I think they're going to kind of trust who they have in terms of blockers, which is not a really fantastic group of run blockers, but, you know, can be competent enough in the right scenario. Uh, and then when that doesn't work or if that doesn't work, they're, they're going to go to play action or they're going to go through the air. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're going to come out trying to prove that the Eagles' number one run defense isn't going to stop them from running. Um, but if it does, I think that they're going to be more comfortable here than they were against the Bears, you know, kind of letting it rip and throwing it downfield. 
how much do you think it, it plays a part that these two teams have played against each other, which, which will be like the third time, I think, in three years now, and most of the guys that have been on these teams throughout the past couple years are still on both of these rosters. That familiarity factor, how much of that plays into this game? I think that's going to be interesting. I think it, it diminishes the value of like Andrews and Dejo's scouting report, right? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, I mean, and the Vikings and the Eagles are, are kind of on the verge of this almost rivalry, right? Where, you know, they play each other so often, the players become really familiar with each other. Obviously, the fan bases have become fairly well acquainted. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that that familiarity can bring you to maybe not the atmosphere that you get in a divisional game, but just sometimes the the closeness, right? You know, sometimes divisional games get kind of wonky. Those games get closer than you expect. And I think the same thing is true here. I mean, Everson Griffin is, is matched up against Jason Peters a ton, and they know each other's, you know, moves and counter moves, and, and they're going to try and build off of them, but they kind of know each other's tendencies. And it's going to create kind of stalemates across the board in a lot of these individual matchups. Uh, and so I think it's going to create a closer game than we, we're typically used to seeing, uh, you know, in interconference games. Uh, and, and I think it's going to make for probably a more exciting game. And then maybe, you know, if there is animosity between the players, you know, some chippiness on the field. How big is it that, uh, you know, the the Vikings typically, uh, when these two teams have played, there's been like that one major injury for both teams. And the Vikings overall seem pretty healthy. Outside of Ben Gideon's con- uh, concussion, Josh Klein with his foot, everything else seems pretty, you know, status quo for this team. Uh, through the first five weeks of the season, how big is it that this team's been able to stay healthy, you know, through this first stretch? It's been huge, especially because, uh, you know, within that, they've had to deal with individual players, you know, getting hurt for, for a couple of snaps in the game, and they've had the depth to kind of fill that up, but then also not have to worry about relying too much on the depth as that player kind of returns from injury uh, and plays. And I think that, you know, if you were to replace somebody like Eric Hendricks with Eric Wilson, or if you were to replace, you know, Xavier Rhodes with, you know, Mike Hughes just got back from uh, from injury, so you know that's that's huge. But if you were to replace, you know, Xavier Rhodes with uh, Nate Metters or Chris Boyd or Mark Fields, you know, that would be a huge problem. You know, it, it, I think you know Nate Metters has had, you know, seven snaps and he's given up two touchdowns. <laughs> like it's 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 brutal. You know, quarterbacks are pretty aware when this guy that was so bad at corner they moved him to safety is now playing corner again. Um, so I, I think it's big because, uh, you know, a lot of these players that are playing at a really high level, you know, the guys behind them, some of them, you know, sometimes the Vikings have a good depth at defensive end, but like not great depth at corner or whatever, you know, that I think would be, uh, would lead to, I think a pretty consistent drop off. And remember 10 of these guys were starters last year and they were also starters like the year before. Uh, and so they've, they've played with each other a ton and they're very familiar with each other and kind of disrupting that chemistry, uh, you know, leads to miscommunications. We see that every so often when you've got Mike Hughes in there, who is very talented, um, but, you know, he's kind of new to the system and he doesn't always know. And it blows a coverage here or there without that, you know, chemistry and without that kind of understanding, it can lead to these kind of blown coverages. And it can also lead to these talent mismatches that the Vikings weren't prepared for. So, you know, again, sometimes the healthiest defenses in the NFL are the best. And I think that's kind of what's happening with the Vikings. Now I gotta talk to you. Everybody knows you're the you're the quote unquote Carson Wentz <laughs> hater. What have you seen from Carson this year from your perspective to either that has either, you know, swayed your opinion a little bit or, you know, kept it kind of the same? Well, I'm wondering why the sixth best quarterback on the Eagles roster is the one that started. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've got Greg Ward on a practice squad. You've got Kyle Olette on a practice squad. Josh McCown, Studfeld, Lane Johnson. Come on, you got to let him throw the ball. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, I, uh, I, I think that uh, you know Wentz has played a little bit better than I expected. You know, the statistics don't bear it out because the receivers are not really giving him a lot of a lot of help. Um, but, you know, he's getting rid of the ball quicker. Uh, you know, that's been one of the consistent issues as he was returning from injury. He held on to the ball. His rookie year, he held on to the ball. Uh, he kind of invites pressures and invites sacks. And, you know, I wasn't really confident coming out of college that, you know, he'd be able to overcome, you know, his own tendency to invite pressure. Uh, obviously, he he's done that in the past. Um, but, you know, the 2017 Wentz was able to combine – uh, getting rid of the ball a lot quicker with explosive plays. And while he's had, I think, more explosive plays lost due to receiver drops and stuff like that, I think just generally speaking, you know, he hasn't been as aggressive while also solving that that problem of inviting pressure. And so there's still, I think, work to be done. I know PFF has him as like their top or second best quarterback or something like that in the NFL. So, you know, there's obviously a reason to say that, you know, he's playing a lot better than his statistics. But I, I still think that there's work to do in terms of balancing that question of, of how long you should hold on to the ball and let routes develop and the question of how aggressive you can be. Um He's still kind of navigating it. I don't think he's kind of returned to form uh, still, um, but he is looking a lot better than he did last year. Uh, and, you know, he's still kind of a, a pretty good athlete. And, you know, maybe he uses it a bit too much and puts himself in danger, but it's always been kind of a, a threat. And if the Vikings have kind of one huge weakness on defense is that they don't typically handle athletes at quarterback very well. So um, from a play style perspective, I think that's what you get. I don't think he's as accurate as, as he was when he was – you know, on that MVP tear, but I don't think that's an issue either. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a guy that I think hasn't recaptured everything that's that's made him kind of so exciting, but he's playing, I think, a lot better than um, than people who typically haven't captured their form, if that makes sense. Like, he's playing uh, at a significantly above-average level, even if his team isn't giving him that kind of credit. Definitely, and if PFF wants to tell me that Carson Wentz is better than Patrick Mahomes, I will take that any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> But we can also agree on one thing, you know, Mitch Trubisky still can't throw to the left, and Cannot. he looked terrible to start the year before he got injured, and it's it's good to see that the Bears finally put their best starting quarterback in. Yeah, I'm just you know waiting for the Eagles to do the same. <laughs> now our mutual Ross Uglum too, when uh, he came on this year, he said, "You're not giving a reef airtime, are you?" And I was <laughs> like, "You're damn right, I am." <laughs> um. So that was great, and you know he he mutually agreed with us about Mitch Trubisky, except he said he still roots for him because he's a North Carolina guy, and uh, he's always rooting for his heels. But uh, he he is in <laughs> on the Trubisky is not that great club. So uh, shout out to our buddy Ross Uglum. Um, looking at this matchup though on on Sunday, knowing that the last time the Eagles played in Minnesota, they won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Um, you know, what are some of the, the X factors, in your opinion, for this game, for the Vikings and for the Eagles, from your opinion, that could, you know, sway this game in one direction or the other? 
you know, for years I've always been kind of worried about the tight end matchups for the Vikings. You know, some years they, they overperform against tight ends and, and, you know, my fears are assuaged. And then the very next year, you know, some tight end just like crushes them up the seam. So uh, Ertz, I think, is kind of an X factor on how the defense kind of handles him is going to be huge. Whether or not the Eagles involve Dallas Goddard more in the passing game, you know, I think that's going to be big. Um, and so from from the perspective of when the Eagles have the ball, I'm kind of most worried about that tight end matchup. I think on the other side of things, you know, when the Vikings have the ball, um, you know, Cousins, right? You know, I think that, you know, he's almost kind of in that same area that I described Wentz in where he's kind of trying to figure out how to balance getting rid of the ball quickly while still having an aggressive offense. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think that the running game is going to get off the ground in the same way that it has in, in a bunch of their games this year, um, four out of their five games. Um, but that means that he needs to find ways to take advantage of both Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. So far this year, only really one of them has ever had, you know, a pretty big game in any of their games. And and I think for this game, it's going to have to be both of them. And there's kind of opportunities in the secondary there. What would you say to, uh, you know, just the fact that we talked about the Eagles secondary not being, you know, up to snuff as we've expected it to be due to injuries and just, you know, guys not playing well. Would you say Rodney McLeod, you know, has a chance to, you know, be the the game-changing defender for the Eagles in terms of just coverage and being able to, you know, get after the quarterback, too, with his physicality? Yeah, I think so. In fact, I I really liked uh, that acquisition way back when it happened, Um, and and he hasn't really been up there, but, you know, I, I think that a lot of that has to do with injury, and I think that, you know, pairing him with one of the most underrated safeties in the league, Malcolm Jenkins, and replacing Andrew Sandeo, who is largely very good, but gives up kind of these big plays every so often, um, you know, that I, I think there's a kind of a lot of potential there because I think that he can do basically everything, maybe not up to the level of Malcolm Jenkins, but, uh, you know, he can hit pretty hard. He can, you know, uh, do a lot, you know, as a tackler, he can do a lot in coverage. Uh, and I think that you can use those safeties to kind of cover up what happens uh, with cornerbacks, uh, you know, with the right schemes, and especially because, they're not probably going to blitz all that much. They blitz a bunch against the Jets, but really no one else. Uh, you know, I, I think that having them kind of stay back and, and giving those corners cover, I think that could potentially be huge, yeah. And, I mean, when you blitz against the Jets, they're just kind of inviting it, especially when right, yeah. uh, Luke Falk only <laughs> gets the walkthrough day for practice. But, um, you know, are you expecting a Vikings win or an Eagles win in this game based off of, you know, who looks like – is looking like they're going to play, uh, just, you know, potential matchups and all that stuff. Who do you think comes out on top? I think the Vikings do. I think that, um, and it's close. I mean, Vegas has the Vikings as three-point favorites, and that's basically just home-field advantage. Um, you know, I, I would say that, which is not nothing. Obviously, that's, you know, mm-hmm. part of the whole thing. Um, but I would say that uh, I like the matchup of the Vikings' defense to the Eagles' offense. And so the real question to me is whether or not, you know, the Vikings offense can turn it on and perform in just a couple of drives and get touchdowns where normally they're supposed to get field goals. And I think the tools are there. I think the pieces are there. And I think, you know, kind of Cousins is figuring out what does work for him within the constraints of this offense. Uh, And so I expect a little bit more from him than, you know, we saw obviously against the Bears or the Packers, but just generally, you know, how he does against uh, defenses that you know might have a strong defensive line but have some weaknesses in the secondary. Yeah, it's going to be a, a very interesting matchup, to say the least, because it's kind of like part three of a, a, a saga of matchups that we've had over the past couple years, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to this game all season long. 
Arif, let everybody know where they can follow you, read all your stuff. I know you've, you're on a few podcasts now, the new one with The Athletic as well. Uh, let everybody know where they can uh, check you out. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. I post everything there. That's at Arif Hassan NFL. My name is funny. I'll spell it out. A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm on a few podcasts. The Straight Cash Podcast with The Athletic. Uh, the uh, Norse Code podcast, which is the very first podcast I did over at the Daily Norseman, uh, and then uh, the Football Machine podcast, which I do with uh, Luke Inman and Sam Ekstrom over at Zone Coverage. So you know, type those into your podcast machine, they'll come up, uh, and I'll, I'll spit Carson Wentz takes for days. <laughs> Straight Cash is one hell of a podcast name. It's a great name. It's I love fantastic. It. The Athletic's doing a bunch of great stuff. They are not a sponsor, but you should be subscribed to them so you can read all the good stuff they're putting out there. Arif. Really thank you for uh, hopping back on, and I'm sure the way things go, these two teams will be meeting in the playoffs, and we will definitely have you back on again soon, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. As always, got to thank the homie Arif Hassan for hopping on the podcast. Love talking to him about Eagles-Vikings. It's one of my favorite things to do uh, each and every season, so really appreciate him hopping back on to uh, talk all things birds and Vikings and Carson Wentz and hating on Mitch Trubisky because that's what we do best here. But uh, like you said, make sure you're following him on Twitter. He puts out fantastic content, not just Viking stuff. He talks all things NFL, and he's just a great follow, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. So definitely follow Reef on Twitter. Subscribe to The Athletic so you can read his stuff. The Athletic is not a sponsor, but if they want to throw us a sponsorship code or anything like that, they can feel free to. And uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter as well. At UndergroundPHI, we'll be dishing out all of our uh, Eagles-Vikings pregame takes on Saturday live from Gatone Stadium uh, as we will be there for Violent High School's homecoming game. Uh, so we will be breaking down this game full-blown on Saturday. And uh, I personally think it's going to be a big Eagles win. I think they have a, a real shot to assert themselves as one of the best teams in the league and kick it off in style in the stadium where they last won the Super Bowl. Uh, so make sure you're following us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Shout out to the old AOL Instant Messenger for that one. And make sure you are subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews with your predictions for Eagles-Vikings. I want to know them all. I want to know what your thoughts are heading into this gauntlet stretch that gets started on Sunday in Minnesota. And if you don't have an iPhone, you can also follow us on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we are now streamable and followable on iHeartRadio. Yes, you can get Eagles enemies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast feed on iHeartRadio, the number one app for podcasts. We are there, so make sure you go follow us, stream the hell out of us, and get us on their charts as well, and send us the iHeartRadio awards potentially. Who knows? It could happen. Anything is possible. But again, shout out to the homie Arif Hassan. Hopefully the Eagles kick the Vikings down another peg in the NFC. And we're feeling good talking about another Eagles win after Sunday. But it's going to be a good one. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, this matchup because it's going to be a real litmus test for what this Eagles team is going to be capable of uh, in hopefully what is their final game without Deshaun Jackson. So going to be a good one eagles vikings sunday afternoon we'll see you guys there like i said follow us on the twitter for all those eagles updates uh but this has been another edition of the 2019 season eagles enemies right here on underground sports philadelphia i'm your host kyle bennett we are signing off
Go Birds! 